was only one Eva, and I became a mermaid in the same pool that she did. It must be up to me. I've got to create the Tower of Light. No, this isn't just up to you. We've been through all of this together. This is why we were chosen as mermaids. The three of us. We can stop the comet. This is our destiny too. We don't know what happened to Eva. Maybe she swam away afterwards. But there's three of us. So let's do it. Together. As mermaids. Welcome to the graveyard slot where we talk about movies and sometimes TV shows past their prime time. Here, we revisit old favorites with a fresh perspective to see if they deserve more credit or if they should stay buried. I'm Sarah. And I'm Sohini. And today, we're continuing our discussion on H2O Just Add Water. I guess let's just jump into it and we're picking up right where we left off. Yeah. So the Charlotte thing is so confusing to me in so many ways. There's this episode, Double Trouble, which was episode 16. And the main driving force of the episode is Emma's little brother wanting to date Cleo's little sister, Kim, and her taking advantage of him. That, I think, provides a great kind of foil to illustrate the situation Lewis is in with Charlotte. Cleo and Lewis chaperone the kids' date, and in doing that, go on a sort of pseudo-date themselves. There's also this part where Cleo says to Lewis about Kim, isn't it obvious she's just using him? If she was really into him, she'd treat him with respect. Like equals. Like you and me. Now I'll get at my main point. Cleo says at one point, we can do this without it meaning anything, right? And Lewis says the same thing in return later on. Then they bring up how they can't keep spending time together like this because of Charlotte, making no argument for the fact that all they're doing is staying friends. It kind of implies that they, or rather Lewis, would be committing emotional infidelity if they were to let this go on. But in coming episodes, they do kind of start hanging out more and more. In episode 18, Lewis helps Cleo set up a party, and it's framed as directly in the way of a date he has with Charlotte, which he does end up being late for and seemingly trying to make up for by setting up a surprise romantic picnic for her. I'll mention here that in both episode 16 and 18, Charlotte is portrayed as a completely well-meaning, caring girlfriend. I don't know if that was an unfortunate result of how her scenes played out against the other ones in each respective episode, but they're almost portraying Lewis as doing her wrong. The confusing part for me is that Charlotte so far, and also in coming episodes, is written as an entirely manipulative and borderline abusive partner. One of her biggest offenses being her active effort to isolate Lewis. So Lewis trying to maintain a connection with somebody outside of his relationship and hiding that is a direct result of Charlotte having repeatedly twisted his friendships into transgressions against her and their relationship and would be a positive move forward for Lewis. But here it's like the writers have instead chosen this opportunity to explore the gray areas of Lewis's character and portray him pursuing this almost emotional affair as if it's a self selfish desire and one that's hurting Charlotte, and one in which Charlotte has nothing to do with and is just a casualty of. It's really strange, and results in what I feel like is a pretty disconnected thread and a deviation from the arc of these dynamics so far, and it's just like a little reckless. I don't know what to think about it. That's a really interesting point. To get back on track, aside from the sporadic instances of the writing 
trying to paint Lewis as a person in a relationship with any power and standing to be the quote-unquote bad guy, Charlotte keeps treating him really poorly. <laughs> they end up breaking up after Lewis is made aware of one too many acts of manipulation from Charlotte. It's nice to see him stand up to her when they do break up, but the lead-up is quite excruciating. Again, I think my biggest problem is just that Lewis is a friend of the girls and they should have done more to help him out of the situation, but I guess that's always hard when it comes to abusive relationships, so like, fair enough. But also, after the birthday party, for example, why wouldn't they tell him what Charlotte did to the girls? If she's capable and willing to do this to the girls, like physically harm them and like lock them up and stuff, aren't you at least concerned for Lewis and his safety and his well-being? All of this paired with the weird emotional infidelity thread, it always feels like the writing is retconning Charlotte's actions and retroactively making Lewis someone who has a hand in the fucked up state of his relationship. This retconning is also present in Charlotte and Lewis's talk after everything goes down. Charlotte prescribes the downfall of their relationship to Cleo and Lewis just lets her. But it has nothing to do with Cleo. Charlotte was an awful person and an awful partner and Lewis just was finally able to set up for himself and get out of a bad situation. It was so infuriating. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I don't know why they messed it up so bad. Like, Charlotte wanting to belong would have been such a great motivation. Right? The fact that Cleo is so nice to Charlotte when they first meet would have been such a nice point of entry for Charlotte. Like, she finds out that Cleo is really close to these other people and she's drawn to them. The writers could have let us viewers form sympathy for Charlotte, which would have made her ultimate betrayal more painful. And I think they could have still gone that route when she discovers that her grandmother was a mermaid and so she starts believing herself to be the only real mermaid that could have caused a rift between them. This whole plot with Charlotte and her grandmother Gracie, who was a mermaid and she wants to know more about her grandmother, is solid. But paired with how they've read Charlotte, it's, say it with me, confusing. confusing. <laughs> <laughs> Why not just have this as her driving force all along? I honestly don't even know what it adds or what the show is trying to say with this. Is it a firm assertion that mermaids can be anyone, not just passed down biologically, like a whole everyone can be mermaids kind of way? How no one is more or less deserving of this? I mean, I guess that's what it is, because Charlotte's whole thing is how she's quote-unquote more worthy of her powers than the girls. And maybe it's about the responsibility someone with such powers possesses. And Charlotte is an example of someone who is reckless with her powers and is irresponsible. But like, if Charlotte's character had just started out as her wanting to know more about her grandmother Gracie and that being in opposition with the girl's mission to keep their secret, that already makes her an antagonist and her motives are at odds with the girls and that that's already a great friction. Like, why not just have this be her, her driving force? You're right. And you know what? If they had combined it with her wanting to be friends with the girls, that's even more complicated because say yeah. she's been feeling really lonely and for the first time she has a group of friends and then she realizes that that they're not telling her something yeah and the one thing she really wants to find out more about her grandmother is putting that new friendship into jeopardy and then she has to choose and she chooses her own priorities before the girls and blah blah, blah. that could have worked perfectly fine Anyway, there's a full moon that's like the most powerful in 50 years. And it's funny how that happens once every season. <laughs> well, this one, it's for real. They get Charlotte into the moon pool and it permanently takes away her powers. Yeah. This is one part that I found confusing. confusing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what changes 
when they manage to overpower her. Throughout this confrontation scene, the girls are facing Charlotte altogether, but they're not able to overpower her. She calls herself the super mermaid because she's got all three of their powers. I can't believe she didn't go with mega mermaid. <laughs> That's It's right there. But anything they throw at her, she's able to counter because she's got those same powers. So that's interesting to explore. But I feel like the scene is kind of flat because there's no buildup or turning point where the girls figure out a strategy to outmaneuver her or outsmart her. The one thing I can think of is that they use their extra powers, which maybe they haven't told Charlotte about so they catch her off guard and she realizes that they're stronger than they've been letting on this whole time but earlier on in the episode Charlotte controlled the wind by making the girls float in the air so it's like she also has the extra powers I guess so I don't understand it would have been better if like we had discussed the arc of getting control of their powers is over the course of the season so so far it's been out of their control and then at the end they finally managed to overpower charlotte because they've managed to control their powers properly and can you imagine based off of a technique that lewis learned from, from charlotte? charlotte that's amazing the irony <laughs> oh my god i wish i had done this that would have been great that would have been so much better Anyway, the season also has Emma and Ash. Oh, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not mentioned them at all. I liked Emma and Ash. I don't know. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty concise. Ash and Emma are, for the most part, a nice counterpart to the tumultuous relationship between Ricky and Zane and everything going on with Lewis and Cleo. When Ash is first introduced, Emma is not a fan to say the least but throughout <laughs> the season they get to know each other a bit more and end up in a relationship and she ends up telling ash about her secret which is way too soon i think i had a big problem with that. i agree still i think it was nice to see that at least one character has the agency to do with the secret as she chooses and he also takes it really well which is <laughs> unrealistic but also funny <laughs> all he says is cool <laughs> I guess we don't know because we don't see what happens next. It is in the last episode of the season, so there's not much time to elaborate. Yeah. Imagine if he goes, cool, I gotta call up my marine biologist. <laughs> we gotta be rich. Dr. Denman. <laughs> yeah. My only gripe, maybe, is that I don't think she should have told him. Their relationship specifically doesn't feel that serious to me. They haven't built that kind of relationship. I can see that. So yeah, we end with Emma and Ash, actually. And this is actually Emma's exit from the show. It's very sad. It is. It is sad. Yeah. I did not realize when we were watching this for the first time. And when season three started, I was like, oh, look, there's a new person in the intro. But I didn't see that they took out Emma because they're all blonde and white. <laughs> and I can't tell them apart. They're underwater. How am I supposed to tell? <laughs> I think it's fair to say the identifying trait of Emma is that she is one of the girls with the tail. So I see three <laughs> girls with tails. I think it's the three girls we've known all along. <laughs> I'm sorry. I should have warned you about the emotional upheaval that was to follow season two. There's one more thing I wanted to say about season two that was to do with the full moon. In this season, 
it feels like they're really trying to flesh out the magical aspects. The full moon has some mysterious power over them and they kind of build on this in season two but not really. The use of the full moon as a tool became really unclear to me in this season. Same. At some points, it seems like the full moon is drawing the girls to the moon pool. There's this one line that Ricky says that's something like the water is calling them. And it seems like more often than not, with the full moon, they end up in the water and they end up going to the moon pool. So they're compelled to go there. But what is the point? What is the reason? And... What makes it a nefarious force that they have to avoid every time? Once they decide to face it, it's also really anticlimactic because out of nowhere, they suddenly decide to face the full moon without any buildup, without any preparation. I think maybe it's in the episode where they go camping and Emma says something like, we have to face it. Yeah, we can't live like this, yeah. Yeah, and it's like... Okay, but how? <laughs> it affects you really seriously. What is the plan? They just go out yeah. there. And then they got it. They act like they can resist the trance that the full moon puts them in. But there's no previous evidence that they've ever been able to do this. A tool that I once felt was really effectively used in the previous season feels kind of useless in this one. <laughs> I agree completely. I was really confused when they were like, we did it. <laughs> yeah. We gained control and I'm like, did you? When did that happen? How did, how, what? I don't understand. And then season three, this continues because suddenly they're all acting like we're over this now. And it's like, how? Yeah. After rewatching the third season, I think I understand more what the deal is that's happening with the full moon. Basically, like, you can come to the conclusion that a mermaid is created when humans make contact with moon rock and moonlight at the same time at the full moon. It's like being a mermaid is kind of like being an alien, like being a moon thing, right? A moon creature. Mm -hmm. So that's why the full moon affects them because at the full moon, it's where instead of being more human than they are mermaid, they are more mermaid than they are human. And that's why they feel a pull towards the ocean or the water. And they want to go to the moon pool in Mako because that's the natural habitat of a mermaid. It's where they get as close to the moon as possible because Mako is made of moon rock is the way I have figured it out in my head. So I don't understand in that case why they just don't stay at the moon pool every time there's a full moon. Why do you stay at home and avoid the moon? I agree with you. I think it's because they don't know. Fair. I know this because I got to the end of season three. <laughs> a tough feat. And two, it's Miss Chatham's fault. <laughs> She was the one who was like, it's dangerous, don't do it. Imagine if they hadn't heard of that. A third thing. I think it is the only real answer I have, aside from the two that I've given, is that it's still uncomfortable to not be in control of yourself. I don't think they do this in the show, but if they knew, I don't think it's out of the question for them to be like, I don't like that I am not in control of my body and stuff, so I would rather just stay home and not do that. That's fair. That's the only reasons I can come up with. But again, it's not like they successfully communicate this in the show. Yeah, that does make sense. But I have to say, I'm still a little unclear because it's like the moon makes them do strange things for what? Yeah, I'm with you on that. Like, I understood it as a character-building device, but as a part of mermaid lore as we know it, I don't know that it all works. 
cohesively. I think it falls pretty in line with the theory that during the full moon, they are more mermaid than they are human. So it's almost like they're reduced to their base instincts. I don't think that's the real answer. Like, I agree with you. It's pretty nonsensical and it bugged me to no end. But if I were to figure it out. Yeah, I see that. Ready for season three? Am I? (laughs) Yes, season three. Like we said, Emma's not in this one. There is another mermaid, however, named Bella. Isabella, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) That was news to you. Yeah. Along with her is Will. Mm -hmm. William, perhaps? (laughs) (laughs) And he's not a mermaid, but he's a wannabe mermaid. He's uh, practically there. (laughs) When I first saw him swimming around without breathing, I was like, what is he? (laughs) It's like coming up with all of these supernatural creatures. Is he Ursula? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's the witch. (laughs) But but he's just the diver. Yeah. And all I've got to say about them is that they're boring. (laughs) They're both boring. I don't like them. On a serious note, though, they add nothing to the story. The characters were written so well in the previous seasons, and, like, there's a reason they're there. The fact that that happened, and then we get Bella and Will, is uh, so mind-boggling. I don't even have anything to say about that. I don't even have stuff to hate about them. Like, there's some stuff about Will that I hate. But (laughs) as a writing thing, there's, there's just nothing. That's a fair take. I think my perception of Bella might be a bit clouded by the fact that I saw the show as a kid. And so I guess kid me was just relieved that there was someone to make up for Emma's absence. I mean, she's blonde and she's white. What else could you ask? (laughs) I don't have anything against Bella and Will. As people, they're nice. But as characters, they don't really feel real because they're missing that really rich background that the other characters have. We do learn a bit about Bella and Will's background in the beginning of the season. And this is when they're just chatting. So the information comes from dialogue between them. Yeah, it's really clunky. It is. I will say at least it serves as somewhat of a foundation for the relationship that they will have later on because they realize they have this really similar background where they've moved around a lot. But on the other hand, it takes away any opportunity for us to see both of these characters interact with people other than the core group. We're robbed of seeing these characters have a life aside from their friendship group and aside from all this mermaid stuff. And compared to how it was in, say, season one, when the characters came to us fully fleshed out from the very beginning, even before the story officially starts, you can tell they're all on different walks of life. Bella and Will feel much more like cardboard cutouts of characters rather than real people. I was literally about to say that. You know what's funny? The fact that we don't really get them flashed out or anything, and yet we spend a lot of time with them. Yeah, we never even see her home. Even Ricky, we see her home at least once or twice in season two. It's not as fully fleshed out as Cleo and Emma's family lives, but in a way it kind of makes sense that we don't see it because she's so closed off and unwilling to let people into her life. So yeah, we don't get anything with Bella or much of Will. I think this is why it was so jarring as well. Like suddenly the show became like Bella was the main character. And I think something you brought up earlier made me think about this. 
my number one gripe about season three is their complete refusal to, you know, treat Bella as a character, but also like it's this done deal that now Bella is best friends with yeah. Ricky and Cleo. But like, why? That's the interesting part. Them getting, becoming friends if that's the case. And the funny thing is like, this wasn't a thing in season one. They weren't all friends. The whole thing, like the part that we loved is seeing them become friends. So why couldn't we do this with Bella? It's like they overcorrected the fear that people would dislike Bella because she's someone new by like being, oh, hey, we're best friends. (laughs) Instead of like writing them becoming friends. And like we were talking before, she could have been a really interesting character where like, she's had a very different experience as a mermaid and like they may have differing ideologies they may have differing experiences and maybe for the girls becoming mermaids was a point of connection a point of establishing a friendship and that means a lot to them and maybe they do immediately reach out to Bella and Bella's like oh fuck off just because I'm a mermaid too doesn't mean we have to be friends which is also another great allegory for race and maybe for Bella being a mermaid and like living that life is a life of isolation not necessarily in a bad way just like the way she spends time with herself that would have been really interesting and it would have also played really well into the story with Will because he's a diver and if his whole thing is that he wants to swim around with Bella and it's her opening up like this really vulnerable part of her to somebody either because she cares about them or whatever so like there's so many ways of making this interesting and they just take that off the table immediately it's infuriating you're right the only time they begin to touch on it is in that one episode where ricky feels a bit sidelined because Cleo takes advice from Bella and at the end of this episode Bella admits that she's not really used to being in a group situation. That was the most interesting dynamic ever was. Exactly and I wish they had built on this a little bit more and drawn it out so that instead of becoming friends by default because they're all mermaids there's some friction where they keep getting thrown together in these situations because they are affected by the moon because they are privy to information that the rest of the world doesn't know and then over time they decide hey maybe we'll do better if we work together rather than against each other yeah it also plays out like bella is like their little sister almost and they often treat her that way and i think that's just a consequence of the fact that she never fucking contributes if that had been intentional i think that would have been also an interesting dynamic I can see that. Everything she contributes is like nothing. It's like the obvious. I'm like, yeah, Bella, we fucking know. Shut up. (laughs) There was a hint of friction because in the first episode, Cleo says there's bigger fish to fry and there's a shot of Bella frowning. Yeah. (laughs) And I really liked that. It's just a fundamental difference in culture, basically, right? It is a fact that Bella has been a mermaid much longer than the other two. And there's also this interesting thread that I wish they had explored a bit more this season, where once Bella starts seeing Will, it seems like he's more interested in the mermaid part of her than he is the human part. And so I thought it might be an interesting debate to think about how much of your mermaid powers are truly you just like any other part of you like how different is your mermaid ability to say being really good at art how much credit can you take how much of it is you and how much of it is magical forces at play 
And when you brought up the whole cultural difference thing, it could be that the girls differ on this point where Bella sees herself as more mermaid than human because of how long she's had these powers. And so that would lead to her having a different reaction to Will liking her mer the mermaid part of her because it's like he sees the true her, mm. whereas the girls might disagree. That would have been so good. And they even bring up this point in passing in the first season when Emma makes an interesting comment about how she's more mermaid than human and that's why she can't date Byron. <laughs> this comment accompanied by Emma swimming in her old swimsuit. It's like a meshing of the two worlds that isn't entirely yeah. possible because of course the tail will take over the minute she touches water. So, you know, you were talking about bodily autonomy and everything and this could sort of play into that where they have these really great powers that empower them to explore parts of them they didn't even know they had or that they were unsure about. But it's also like a part of their agency is taken away because it's going to happen whether they embrace it or not. It's really interesting to think about how much of each part occupies them and whether they get to choose. Yeah, that would have been so interesting. And I think it also could have been like, they keep butting heads over this, right? And Bella's like, you guys are living in denial. You're mermaids now and you've been pretending or like forcing yourselves to be human this whole time when truly you're a mermaid and it's time to face that. And it's a turning point in these characters' lives where it's them grieving who they used to be, you know, read them grieving adolescence. This is the point where they have to face that turning point in their journey of growing up and they have to say goodbye to their adolescence. And that, that would have been so great. Exactly. I agree completely. In this season, the powers they have felt the most disconnected from their character development. I like the foundation they set in the beginning where their safe space starts to feel like a threat because mm, they think yeah. the water has started to attack them. And I thought that this would be connected to their personal growth. The fact that they're on the verge of leaving their own, quote, safe spaces behind because they're graduating school. They're moving on to bigger and more intimidating things. The future is uncertain on all fronts, but they don't do they that. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, speaking of the powers, what do you think of Bella's? The jelly power? Mm -hmm. It's like, fine. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like Emma's power light. It has the same function as Emma's power. And it's also like, it brings up a lot of questions. Like? Is there a community of mermaids? Yeah. Is there like a bunch of different powers? Yeah. Like, watch the spin-off. <laughs> oh, I forgot the spin-off existed. Because ice, water, and fire. Oh, Avatar. <laughs> yeah, I, I had assumed they were the powers because they're like elements. And then we get the goo element. <laughs> <laughs> That's why it feels a little like out of place or like middle of the road or something. I don't know. I don't hate it, to be clear. I just don't know how I feel about it. I definitely see your point. I feel like Bella's power might be a result of the writers not knowing what else to do. So to me, it feels like the powers were a lot more relevant when they developed them in the first season. Yeah, like what does this say about her? Yeah, like you mentioned earlier on, the powers the girls have make sense. For example, Ricky, she's always been the most 
flippant about using her abilities, the one who took it most in stride. So it was really interesting to see her shock when she realizes how dangerous fire could be, like when she realizes how dangerous her power and by extension how dangerous she can be. She's the most fiery of the three, quick to anger and maybe finding it the most difficult to modulate her emotions and her powers seem to be an extension of that. In that episode where she's isolated herself from everyone because she's struggling with the full moon, Ricky says that she's alone for her own good. And it's like the powers are confirming everything she suspected about herself. That she should be alone because otherwise she hurts people. And by learning to control the powers, she's basically learning how to control the negative side of herself. And the power then serves a purpose in her character development, in her growth as a person, as she learns to let more people into her life. I can't even begin to say anything like that for Bella's power. Yeah, she's plain jelly. <laughs> but I can't stop thinking about how a different take on Bella would make Will's interest in her as a mermaid something entirely different. As it is, well, let me just get this out. I don't like Will, writing-wise, but also character-wise. Especially because like all of his traits are supposed to be cool guy traits. Again, this is another one of those overcorrecting things that the writing does where they, they have to make him super, 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 super cool so that we like him, so that we don't get mad about Emma. And that makes for a boring character, an obnoxious character, a character that's just like nothing, not complex, it doesn't have flaws. And it's not that he's a cool guy. It's that he possesses these supposedly cool guy traits. He lives on his own. He's got like his own space. He dives i was gonna say he surfs but close enough well i would say when you're surfing you're trying not to dive. <laughs> true it's kind of like the opposite you're trying to stay on the surface <laughs> maybe that's why it's called surfing because you're on the surface i don't think that's true <laughs> but I'll, I'll take your word for it it's called diving because you die there's certainly a risk <laughs> yeah anyway it really infuriates me and this is why i really like it when there's this one episode where will and bella just fail to connect and all will can do is talk about his shells oh. i think it was so cute i really like this episode you finally get to see him in a different light it's not about him being like oh i'm cool he's bumbling for once <laughs> Yeah, he's bumbling and he's like a little nerdy and he's just like, there's just another side of him. And he's finally starting to feel like a real character and a human. But otherwise, that's not the case. I wanted more of this. I wanted more emotional turmoil. <laughs> I wanted more human emotions. And there were so many opportunities because we've touched upon these issues in passing or very briefly in the previous seasons. And this would have been such a great opportunity to explore stuff like the conflict between wanting to let someone get close to you, but at the same time, you you know you can't because you would be lying to them. Cleo even says this in the context of Sam marrying her dad. She says it's one more person that she has to hide from. Or what if they explored the disappointment when after years you finally make a real connection and turns out that he's more interested in your supernatural abilities than he is in you like why isn't that more of an issue for bella yeah. it's resolved so quickly yes or trying to reckon with the fact that you were given these abilities that some would say are the best part of you and you had nothing to do with it yeah does it just make the non-mermaid part of you feel even worse like no one even likes me for me yeah when you're out of the water how do you reconcile those two parts of you there's so many opportunities 
And they spent far too much time, I think, expanding on the lore of mermaids in this season. <sighs> they spend too much time on meteors. Yeah, to the point where I think it gets far too over-engineered and contrived. Yeah. Whereas in the beginning, I really liked that there was a scientific basis to what was going on. In this season, they take it too far, I think. And it gets too convoluted, especially when the water tentacle reveals a secret spot for them to put their three crystals in. And that oh activates a movie for them to watch yeah. in the moon pool. It's... <laughs> what is that? That's a VHS Sohini. I know you've never seen it. But... <laughs> I feel the same way. It's also like Will's interest in Bella truly has nothing to do with her as a person. And it just comes down to her being a mermaid. And Bella is at first bothered by this. And I really like that. But it immediately gets set aside when there's another scene where Will says something along the lines of like, sorry, never mind. I didn't mean it. And then that's it. He's like, I've been thinking about you, just you, implying that he's not thinking about the mermaid part. And it's like, you came to that realization all by yourself and so quickly? <laughs> What's the point then? Yes, that. But also, Will is still obsessed with her as a mermaid and with mermaids overall. And I know it's not supposed to be that he's lying to her. I know this is just a failure of the writing. Oh, I hate this. <laughs> like, Will's whole obsession with mermaids is interesting, but the way they do it with Bella is so frustrating because, like, she does have a problem with it, but then she immediately believes him when, she, when he says never mind, and then she doesn't react to the fact that he's still treating her the same way that he did before he said never mind. Yeah, it's so funny because they pretend like he's not just interested in her because of the whole swimming thing, but then when they struggle to connect on any yeah. point, they go swimming and afterwards she's like, we have plenty in common. Yeah. <laughs> it's literally a stand-in for like a purely sexual relationship, which is fine, but once you find out you no longer want your relationship to be purely sexual and are unable to fulfill your emotional needs in this relationship, that's literally the whole thing that's happening and it's like frustrating that they fuck it up <laughs> yeah it's realistic that will is awed by bella's abilities to the point where he can't see her as a person anymore yeah. because he he is a diver and so all that stuff fascinates him which is fine it makes sense for his character yeah i really like that i feel like alongside this they could have explored the risks of telling someone your secret even though Bella technically doesn't have a choice. Will tricks her into it. But they could have explored the risks of someone finding out your secret before they properly get to know you as a person. They jump into this relationship on this basis where they don't really know each other. And so it would have made so much more sense if they decided maybe we're better off as friends and we get to know each other first. And then we'll see where it goes. But they don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Early on in the season, they do connect on an emotional level. Will confides in Bella about the fact that he doesn't want to do freediving as a career. He doesn't want to be a world champion. It's what his sister wants. But I feel like this was held back by the fact that they never expanded on this aspect of Will's life. His relationship with his sister Sophie is so underdeveloped. And so by extension, I feel like this aspect of Bella and Will's relationship can't really go beyond a certain point either. Yeah. Like Charlotte, Sophie's a weird character for me. Confusing? Confusing. <laughs> she already 
has this whole thing where she's the strict, intense diving coach for a while. And I think that's enough to put her in opposition to the girls and have her play the role of antagonist. But they have her be this manipulative person too. And I don't get it. <laughs> like Charlotte, she honestly could have gotten the thing she wanted without the manipulation. She could have gotten a close relationship with Zayn. She could have gotten a day job at the cafe. I don't get why she has to be written the way that she is. Even her dislike of Bella could have easily been attributed to her one-track mind of Will's success as a diver. But it's not really portrayed that way. I feel like it would have been easy to have her behavior be motivated by her drive and possibly the pressure she's under in taking care of her little brother with apparently absent parents that would even tie in really well with her sporadic obsession with money being mm. the person responsible for the well-being and livelihoods of her and her brother. She would still be an antagonist, a quote-unquote bad guy, but at least her character would make more sense and be somewhat complex and we understand where she's coming from. And like her redemption also at the end is such bullshit, yeah. so half-assed and not at all to do with her weird behavior so far. Like, okay, she doesn't take the crystal or whatever, but are we going to address the fact that she did some fucked up things? <laughs> it's so annoying because like it all ties in, but they don't. They just make her like weird and nosy. And I guess this is like, maybe this is consistent throughout Will and Sophia's siblings because they both have this weird snobby entitlement to cross boundaries. Mm. <laughs> There's one part where Will like enters like the property of the marine park and swims with the dolphins and the staff is like um what the fuck are you doing get out and he's like no i'm really good with dolphins and i'm like will this is the height of entitled white boy bullshit and Sophia has the same thing where like she just loves to snoop around yeah i don't get what the deal is it's also like i don't know why she's doing this like what is even her motivation yeah i agree with your whole rant <laughs> Character motivation is something the show really seems to struggle with, starting with Charlotte. They keep doing this thing where they just decide to make cartoon villains in the form of Charlotte and Sophie. And it's like, why? They already were able to do this in season one with Zayn, where like, yeah, we hate him, but like, he isn't a cartoon villain. We got to have this with Zayn's dad. We got to have it with Dr. Denman. Like, you know? Yeah. They have the beginnings of a really interesting relationship because when she first arrives there is this hint of sophie and will struggling for money because after they train they count up the change they have between them and it's not enough for breakfast and that's what prompts her to try and get a job at the cafe but unfortunately it's also mixed up with her seemingly instant Attraction interest in Zane. Yeah. And that's why she's sabotaging everybody else's efforts to get a job at the cafe. And I understand they wanted to make an antagonistic character. But like you said, it would have been so much more effective if she had been driven by a more compelling need to do all of these things. They also bring up a really interesting dynamic between Will and Sophie where they keep bringing up how much he owes her when Will doesn't want to participate in competitions anymore, Sophie mentions how much she's given up for him. And there are hints at some resentments that an elder sibling would have if they had to take over the household. And it's understandable that she has these resentments that she's probably had to make sacrifices to attain a dream that she thought she shared with her brother, but now he's telling her he never wanted this and he's been sacrificing things for her. And how does that add up? 
but they never explore it. And it's especially frustrating with the half-assed ending, like you said, because there's no closure. It's so superficial. It doesn't add anything to the story. Yeah, and like all the stuff they added with her acting weird about like non-related stuff that took up so much time and that could have been the time we're exploring this dynamic and flashing out these characters. And I don't understand why they keep feeling the need to have these antagonists immediately take an interest in (laughs) one of the protagonists love interests it adds to the cartoonish aspect because what draws you to them beyond a surface level attraction and i mean that's fine if that's what it is but that really drives you to crime like (laughs) yeah Yeah. (laughs) another thing that bugs me about will it's like he's such a wannabe And not even like he's a wannabe mermaid. He's a wannabe wannabe mermaid. You know why? Because he's a wannabe Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> he's just carrying on Lewis's legacy <laughs> of trying to be one of them. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is like, he kind of acts the same way you would think Lewis would in his position. Often like some of the entitlements. And with Lewis, it would be more complex. And it would be more interesting to have this kind of conversation where like, what is Lewis's authority, right? Especially now in season 3 where the lines are more blurred. We can be like, yeah, Lewis does have some say in what does and doesn't happen. But Will is acting with the same entitlement and the same authority when he has no history with the girls and with this world. And it's like, it's the same entitlement he was treating the dolphins and the marine park. Like, just because he's a diver and he's like, spent a lot of time in the ocean doesn't mean that you're a mermaid. Especially considering how he forces the secret out of the girls as well. Yes. It's kind of really despicable. And like, I can't believe Bella forgives him. And I don't think we get to see Bella tell the girls how he found out. I think the girls would have like, murdered him. (laughs) (laughs) That would have fit in to the vibe of the show. It's one murder per season, right? Miriam in season one, Lewis in season two, Will in season three. (laughs) Yeah. It's fucked up what he did. And they could have done that and have that be a conflict. Will and the girls having to contend with what Will did and maybe Will has to learn why that's bad or whatever, you know? like That would mean he would have to have faults. Mm. And I think you've forgotten that he's faultless white guy. Yeah. But should we take a break and talk about Zane and Ricky? I guess we have to. Zane is a bad boyfriend. I hate him. The end. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That is my first point. My second is that he's also like a bad business partner all around. The fact that he sets up the cafe and everything without telling Ricky is insane to me. He's stolen Ricky's dream and taken it for himself. Like it doesn't change that fact just because he named Ricky. Ricky even expresses this, right? And Zayna's like, surprise, it's for you. See, your name is on the door. And like, yeah, and that's fucking it. This is mine and name only. The whole point is that Ricky wanted to build this business. He took away all that planning from her, the business side of the cafe, even ownership of it. Even throughout the whole thing, whenever Ricky wants to work on the business side of the cafe, he's like, oh, you're not smart enough. Go away. Like this whole like Ricky wanting to be a businesswoman thing has traced back to like season one. It's what they bonded over. And like when they break up, Ricky just walks away and it's not like there's a whole legal battle about their shares of the business because he was always Zane's. He treats her so badly this season, even more so than he had before. It's all he does, by the way. It's not like sometimes he's a good boyfriend and then he has some stakes, but he's just always bad and I can't stand it. (laughs) The end. In line with their origins being undermined, Zane's whole minimal character development is totally trodden over in season 3. At least in the previous seasons, he had a few temporary moments of clarity 
In this season, it feels like he's constantly contradicting himself. At one point, he'll be like, you can tell me, I won't judge you. And then when Ricky tells him, he's like, it's like you're part fish now. <laughs> so none of his actions make sense. It seems like he's just relegated the role of shitty boyfriend because they needed more sources of conflict. It feels like the writers gave up on his character. Yeah, exactly. Like in the first season, we know why he's acting the way that he is. And here, the only reasoning I can find is just he's being a jerk. Like there's nothing. Wouldn't it be nice if based off of his development from the previous seasons, he and Ricky built the cafe from the ground up together? It would go nicely hand in hand with Cleo and Lewis being such a great partnership, researching what's going on at Mako Island. Yeah, I really like Cleo and Lewis together this season. They also actually kind of resolve their big relationship conflict from season two, but it's like a very minor thread for like half an episode. Lewis wants to figure out the water tentacle thing on his own, saying it's because he wants to protect her. And Cleo is like, Lewis, that's stupid. Sweet, but stupid. We should be a team. And Lewis is like, you're right. And they solve it in one conversation in episode five. Yeah. And it's like, I'm glad, but like, just like so funny that they could have solved it this quickly. <laughs> to me, it's evidence of how far they've come, how much they've grown and matured that they're able to resolve these conflicts in the span of a conversation. Whereas before they dragged it out for days on end, broke up over it, cried and were miserable. <laughs> he got into an abusive relationship. Yeah. <laughs> she had fits of jealousy. <laughs> But yeah, it's really nice to see. And I like watching them work as a team to figure out what's going on. And especially after Lewis has to leave because he gets the scholarship offer in the US. I really like that Cleo takes over that responsibility of conducting research and it makes natural sense for her character development because it's like her taking charge of her life whereas previously she would have been intimidated conducting this research is a way for her to tackle her anxieties about the unknown instead of hiding from it and it's such great development as well because Cleo used to struggle with science and now she's taking an active interest in it and it's so great yeah i love that for her too definitely the height of maturity for them was when lewis has to leave the whole episode i was just like i didn't know what to think and then when he was gonna go i was like i'm happy that lewis stays obviously but like i think that's bad I think. yeah having lewis stay would have been such a detriment to the development of their relationship it doesn't make sense for their characters to hold each other back. They've always been yeah. so supportive of each other. It caught me off guard when Cleo pulls him aside and is like, you should go, blah, blah. Because I'm like, this is such a great moment for both yeah. their characters, for their relationship. But I'm also like, wait, 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 <laughs> Lewis. First Emma, now Lewis. <laughs> oh, it's like God. the Hunger Games. <laughs> They're wonderful. Yeah. But to contrast that with something bad, <laughs> Zane is very irrationally jealous of Will. It's really funny and confusing. The character dynamics this season is insane when it comes to some of these people. The funny thing is, he is jealous of Will and he, Zane, doesn't have any basis for this. Meanwhile, there was something weird going on with Will and Ricky. But none of that is fueling his jealousy. <laughs> something is going on, but it's not what you think. Anyway, I would like to talk about Will and Ricky. All right. I have no objection to you talking about it. I don't want to talk about it. 
Well, my heading to this is what the fuck is going on here? Appropriate. The start of this <laughs> is an episode 14 Mermaid Magic where Ricky saves Will from drowning. He's weirdly all enamored by her after, specifically her as a mermaid. He says, an angel rescued me. And even Ricky's weirded out by him. And like, honestly, this could have been an interesting thread, similar to what I thought the Zayn and Emma thing was going to be. This could have been a whole thing about Ricky learning the weight of someone feeling indebted to you and having to deal with that. It would have been a great exploration of what you would think would be this great perfect thing, the ability to help people, having their gratitude, and the not-so-perfect realities of it. Things get weirder. <laughs> In episode 16, The Dark Side, when Ricky makes Will lie about what happens at Mako with the water tentacle, and I still don't understand what happens here. Like, why is Ricky lying? Yes! Thank you! At first watch, I genuinely thought she was possessed by the water tentacle. I wish. It looked like it. Like, afterwards when she went home, she was acting so weird and distant and, like, in a daze. Like, what is the point of that? And then they never reveal it. And I'm like, I guess we're finishing the season with Ricky still possessed. <laughs> <laughs> but so, when Ricky asks Will to lie for her, she says, you owe me that much. And again, this is a really great exploration of the whole thing with Will feeling indebted to her. It's interesting to see the complexities of having that kind of power over somebody and the lines you can easily cross. I think they decently explore this, actually, between Will and Ricky. I don't I just don't know why Ricky even wants to lie about the water tentacle. This whole indebted thing is not really resolved. Not in the sense of a solution, I just mean like an end to this thread. Aside from Will finally telling the truth, I guess. There's not a whole thing where Ricky navigates this weird relationship and learns to deal with the aftermath of having saved someone's life and being burdened by their gratitude. Nor is there a whole thing where Will deals with it in a healthy way and starts seeing Ricky as a, as a person once again or whatever. He just keeps being weird and fixated on her as a mermaid. I think they did the indebted thing better with Ricky and Elliot in season one. <laughs> when she saves Emma's brother's life and he's all fixated on her and she learns about the consequences of you using her abilities without any kind of restriction. You're right. I guess this is like a more like if you were to extrapolate or like make it a bigger deal or whatever. Of course. The whole Ricky keeping this particular development a secret from the girls really confused me as well. <laughs> Basically, she goes to confront the tentacle and that's when she figures out that it's not looking to attack them and it seems like it's trying to tell them something and she feels a connection with it and is even able to control it. Throughout the show, she has kept information to herself as she saw fit. So it doesn't surprise me that she's still doing it. But I don't understand why she's hiding this particular bit of information. Cleo and Bella are under the impression that the tentacle is trying to hurt them. And that's why they're looking for a way to protect themselves. But if Ricky were to tell them that they're misunderstanding the tentacle, it's not like they would continue to attack it. The problem is solved. Yeah. It's like really confusing. There's no reason. And I really don't think it has anything to do with it being like Ricky being closed off. Like it's just a weird conflict out of nowhere. I think this is just one of those shitty writing moments. Yeah, I think so too. And especially when they resolve this whole arc, Ricky says something like, she's back. And what was the point of that arc? Because nothing changed. Ricky wasn't even the one to decide to tell the girls. Will does it for her. And they never explain what made her think they wouldn't understand why she decided to isolate herself again when she's been 
operating in a team for so long. But yeah, it's really confusing. And when they do bring it up, like when they like make up or whatever, Ricky says, I'm sorry, I should have told you guys. And that's it. Yeah. But I will say, aside from the whole lying thing, I hate how much the rest of them gang up against Ricky for a part of the season. She is right. Why are we talking to Ryan? My problem with this is they were all on the same page when it came to Dr. Denman. How is this any different? It annoyed me so much, writing-wise, that they had a whole thing with Dr. Denman and now it's come up again. And Cleo has changed her stance on it for no reason. If there's a distinction, then fucking show it. What is it? But there isn't. Because, like, neither the case of Dr. Denman or Ryan is about either of those scientists being bad people. It's that they don't know one way or another. They can't risk it. And guess what? They both turn out to be pretty shitty. It just really annoyed me that we're doing this again. And somehow this time, when Ricky expresses concern, she's villainized for it. And, like, fine, whatever, if, like, the argument is different this time. But, like, the whole lying thing, they don't bother to illustrate what about this is different or like what has changed Cleo's mind and that would have been an interesting arc if Cleo has been like well we've gone this far and we haven't learned anything and you know what like after this long I want answers I just want to actually know what I am and that's why she goes to Ryan or whatever you know and like they do apologize to her later like you were right blah 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 but they don't explain why Cleo was ever okay with Ryan inspecting the rock because she wants to know more about the moon pool because of the tentacle they're researching the tentacle because they think they're under attack so she's trying to find out why i guess the distinction is like the pressure right yeah because in season one the girls were all against it because there's no reason for lewis to be doing this beyond scientific curiosity he wants to find out exactly what they are why they've changed but it's not essential for them to know they're not in any danger but here they're in active danger that's the motivation i can see that I think the stakes are raised now, but it's like to the same degree that it was in the Dr. Denman episode. The Ryan thing to me presented the same risk as Dr. Denman, I think is what it is. I think you're talking about the point where the scientists have already gotten hold of the key object, whatever that may be. Because I'm talking about the reason to do that research at all in the very beginning, before Lewis even meets Dr. Denman, he's decided he's going to do it because of scientific curiosity, but there's no urgency. They don't have to find out what happened. They're, they're mermaids now and it's fine. No one's after them. <laughs> they're not in danger. But here, before Cleo has even handed the rock over, there's a reason why she does it and that's because she believes they're in danger because of the water tentacle. So the level of urgency is completely different. Okay, this is where I have a problem actually because Ricky is against this whole thing because she wants to keep Ryan away from the moon pool. So when he is on Mako, she tries to drive him away. She burns his equipment, but he realizes there's someone there and he starts chasing her. And while she's escaping from him, she and Will accidentally make him discover the moon pool. So later on in the episode, Cleo and Bella are apologizing to Ricky. Like, we shouldn't have let him near Mako now. He's found the moon pool. But it's Ricky's fault he found it in the first place. She led him there. I think we disagree. <laughs> I'm like, the problem is like, he shouldn't be at Mako. Well, everyone's allowed to be at Mako. We know what the risk is and yet we keep like doing these things that we know full well could easily lead him there. 
it's one thing for like some stranger to go to Mako, like there's no connection, but these are like pieces people can put together. I think Cleo took a calculated risk. She understands that the dots can be connected back to Mako Island and to the group and everything, but she thinks it's worth it to take that risk for Ryan to look at the rock from the moon pool. Again, I still was Ricky. I understand when you explain the urgency of the water tentacle attack so i'm like why couldn't we have this conversation <laughs> like between the girls i could not for the life of me understand what they were fighting about because it feels like something that we've already done before and now it's just like so many things is like we're retracing the same steps and doing it worse it feels like lazy writing that they never even have this conversation because they just have both sides shut each other down yeah i was trying to figure out what the fuck is going on with the water tentacle after we find out everything right so i guess they were quote-unquote attacking them in the sense that they were just trying to get them into the moon pool so they can showed them what was gonna happen my only question then what the fuck was it doing to bella that one time i know it never came back again so in one episode the tentacle kidnaps bella and takes her to the moon pool and then starts turning her into water and that's the whole basis of the tentacle being perceived as an evil force and it's trying to kill them or something like that. It's a misunderstanding. Yeah, and I'm so frustrated that it never came back because I think it could have tied into the direction that they ended up going in, which is that they have to use their powers to deter a comet that's about to hit Earth. They read about this 300-year-old story where a girl apparently shot a tower of light and saved the world, the I guess or yeah the town and they make it seem like the girls lives are in danger when they're about to face off with this comet they even make it seem like they died <laughs> trying to tackle it but of course they're all fine but they never explain how they're fine and how the girl from 300 years ago eva never seems to have made it out and it would have made sense to me that because there are three of them, they could withstand that much pressure from their powers, whereas Eva was all alone. But they never explain how things played out. And this is where the part with Bella turning into water could have come in. Because what if the danger was the girls basically having to become one with the water and let their mermaid identity overtake everything else oh. to generate enough power and knock the comet away? Because that means like Ava, it's not like Ava died. She just became a mermaid full time and she had to like live in the ocean. Yeah. Or she became one with the water, like, you know, the original Little Mermaid or something. She became Sifo. Yeah, that's the danger the girls face. Bella's even like, I have to do this alone because Eva did this alone. But they decide to stick together at the last minute and that's what saves them. And the force is divided. And that's uh, humanity winning out. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been great. <laughs> I'm actually realizing maybe there is an explanation. So after Bella almost dies, the girls are freaking out and Bella's like, no, I was fine. It felt comforting. So maybe it's supposed to be like the same thing that happened with Ricky when she was possessed. Except like it never got to that point. Like Bella never got to the point where she understood that the water tentacle is a friend because the girls were pulling her out of that thing. <laughs> out of that whole situation. That could be an explanation, but I like yours better. <laughs> You know what really bothered me in that scene is the fact that when Bella wanted to do it alone, Cleo really emphasized, no, there's three of us. And I'm like, excuse you. <laughs> yeah. Have you already forgotten your friend Emma? <laughs> 
I wish they brought Emma back for this. It would have made so much sense that they would need even more power than the three of them have, and then Emma would have to come back for the final showdown. Yeah. It's so frustrating how there's so much explained in this season, yet the more important things feel like they're underexplained so it's like simultaneously too much and not enough and the actual dangers and consequences of this conflict really weren't clear it was just like a nebulous idea of ooh, they could disappear they could get hurt but how i will say that first episode when ricky gets pulled in by the water tentacle is terrifying <laughs> she gets pulled into this like void of darkness and i'm like i didn't sign up for this <laughs> But also on the flip side, this is ridiculous. I hate this whole plot line. It's like the girls are now superheroes and they need to save the world. Get the fuck out of here. Absolutely agreed. This climax is the manifestation of the biggest flaws of the season for me because the supernatural elements felt so grounded in the previous seasons because they were connected to human emotion and characters who felt like they were real people. Here, they morph into superheroes who have to save the world? Like, what? I think we should have seen it coming from that one episode where Will finds out about all three of them and they have to jump from a burning, <laughs> exploding building yeah. into the water like they're James Bond or something. It turns into Baywatch. What is this? It's like a parody of everything that's come before it. Yeah. The show ends, though, with their graduation. And guess who stops by? Louise! <laughs> we end with Louis and Cleo being a lovey-dovey. And Will and Bella are still in their most boring, hetero, blonde, white couple bullshit. And Zayn cannot take a hint. <laughs> it actually kind of infuriates me. Like, just let him have an arc. Just let him learn. Just let him be like, I'm sorry about what happened between us. And that's the gross for him. Like, he obviously, he hasn't moved on. He still has feelings for Ricky, but he cares enough about her to not put her through more of his bullshit. I wish they had just shut it down because we've already done the whole Zayn messes up. He yeah. apologizes, they get back together, Zane messes up, he apologizes, rinse and repeat. It got tired by the end of season three, and I wish they had just let them both move on. I think that would be the most meaningful character growth, in my opinion. And I think one way they could have done this is having something happen that you can't take back. And I have an idea for what that could be. Murder. <laughs> no, that's in line with the show. You'd fit right in. <laughs> Zane teams up with Sophie and Ryan to drill the moon pool to mine these crystals that the girls have made their necklaces out of. And in the beginning of the last episode, the girls arrive at the moon pool and they're horrified to see the place in shambles because of what Zane and his group have done. It seems like because of this whole trauma to the place that things aren't happening the way they're supposed to at the full moon. So like the tentacle is supposed to be conjured. It's almost like it was a tool for them to leverage to knock the comet away, but they have to manufacture it themselves because the moon pool is hurt. But after this whole incident, it's like them destroying the moon pool has no consequences. And so I almost wish that the moon pool closed in on itself yes. and no one could ever get in there again. It's like this personal trauma that the girls can't go back to their safe place, but it's also like there can be no more mermaids 
in this area anymore. It's like this action that has consequences for generations to come. And I think something irreparable like that would have severed any tie between Zayn and Ricky. And I think that could have been a satisfying conclusion. A bittersweet one, but I think I would have liked to see something like that. Couple things. One, I cannot believe Zayn does what he does in this season at the end. Like, I was fully expecting, like, he's asking all these questions to get information and to run to Ricky like, oh my god, Ricky. But (laughs) no. He does the stupidest things. He knows how important this is to Ricky. And he even asks her something like, why is this mermaid thing so important to you or something? It's like, are you new? Yeah. He keeps saying these like weird things. There's not even like a basis for like the way he's acting, you know? Like it's so confusing. Anyway, also to me, what he did do, that is irreparable. And that it felt to me like that is the clean split and that they have. It's just Zane. It's dumb. It's like the writing wanted them to be together, but like it's so obvious that this is it. Yeah, I, I guess it just bothers me that this thing that they framed as a horrifying thing and it is it just it has no consequences like the moon pool is fine except how can it be fine when you painted it as so damaged it feels incomplete i completely agree with you i really like the ending that you proposed also i, I just realized i guess you said the girls are supposed to leverage the already existing water tentacle to shoot the meteor but <laughs> i was like wait if the water tentacle is already there and it's already very powerful we saw why did it need the girls to shoot the meteor yourself it's like the water tentacle doesn't know that it's gonna get destroyed <laughs> i'm guessing it needs the mermaid's powers to propel it because all it does is capture the girls and bring them to the pool well so that's a theory on my part i don't know if that's what's actually supposed to happen yeah i guess it's a long way to go to space but (laughs) to my untrained eye if it could like pluck ricky from like ricky's and then take her all the way back to mako i would think it could punch the meteor (laughs) yes that's the same as going to space Anyway, in absurd conclusion, the girls are all serial killers. They've (laughs) killed many a citizen. Hopefully one day the authorities catch up to them. That's great. In another absurd conclusion, to this day, Ricky is possessed by the water tentacle. (laughs) He's just gonna have to live with it forever. You know what would have been really funny? If they go like, okay, time to like raise the water. And then instead of shooting water into space, they shoot Ricky into space. Like not knowing that the water tentacle is in Ricky. It's karma from doing that to Lewis. Finally, Lewis gets his justice. <laughs> his revenge. Yeah. But yeah, so that was season three. Yeah. What are our final thoughts on the show? H2O just that water. <laughs> have your opinions changed? No, my opinions have not changed. I think it does deserve the love that it's gotten and continues to get. I think season one is probably the best season and the one thing that really stands out is the character development because as I've probably already said too many times the issues they face as mermaids are so tied to their personal growth and the mermaid transformation magic is such an effective tool to show the girls going through different challenges in life and learning lessons what i really like is that the season takes its time in portraying the girls coming to terms with what's happened to them and reckoning with the very real consequences And this, I think, fades as we go on through the show. Season 3 really, really falls short. I feel like the characters don't really go through any kind of arc. And as such, there's no personal development that's being mirrored in the supernatural aspect. 
we spend the whole time unraveling mysteries of the moon pool and it doesn't really pay off and there are no internal struggles, no human emotions that we can all relate to. Regardless of these weaknesses though, I think as a whole, H2O as a show holds a lot of merit. While it could have gone into more detail with some of the really interesting themes, at least we have something to build off of. Just in that, it sets itself apart from a lot of media for kids, which might be tempted to take the lazy route. I think H2O definitely has a distinct voice and a distinct message. So I would recommend it to anybody. I think it's enjoyable at any age. And it's overall, I think it's a fun adventure to go on at least once. But tell me what you think. I really liked it. I think it's got a lot of merit and yeah i do recommend it it's a really decent show of this genre and makes use of the way it can communicate you know the struggles that these girls go through in their coming of age and i think that writing and that intention is really tight in season one especially like you that's my favorite season but i think they lose that precision in the later seasons like in season two a lot of the problems came solely from like a lack of vision i feel like like the writing couldn't decide what it wanted to do and that's like charlotte was so confusing and this crutch of a cartoon villain unfortunately stuck around in season three but otherwise i really liked the show and the characters are great and it really is a great show honestly i'm also quite surprised by some of the mature themes that it does touch on even aside from my ramblings on emotional, emotional infidelity <laughs> I thought it was like a young children's show, but it, it really deals with some pretty mature themes. I just had such a good time watching it, and I think everyone else should too. I will say, I don't like the tails. <laughs> if you're gonna be a mermaid and you're gonna have tails, why can't you have pretty like purple ones and blue <laughs> ones? Like, what's even the point? I mean, I wanted to go into the show and pick a color, you know? I wanted to pick one. Can you imagine if the tails matched their wardrobes and so Ricky <laughs> Blue, has a red one? <laughs> purple, and red. Oh, okay. Here's the question. Instead of picking what snack we want to pair with this show, what color would your tail be? <laughs> I think I'd go with blue. You're Emma to the core. I pick purple. <laughs> so who's your favorite character of the three girls? Not Louis. Louis is obviously all of our favorite character. Actually, no. Byron is my favorite <laughs> character. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Louis is my favorite character. But one of the girls, who is your favorite? Mine is Ricky. I would have to say Cleo is probably my favorite. I just love her arc throughout the show. Oh, it's also like partly the writing because you really go back to the first episode and Cleo is a baby. <laughs> yeah. I think that's partly why I like her because she's like, I can't. And I'm <laughs> like, so me cute. too, I can't. <laughs> Even the girls treat her like a baby. She's like, Louis, do you know anything about mermaids? And then the girls mock her like, Louis, do you know anything about mermaids? And it's like, these girls are so mean. I love them. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. Well, that's all for our discussion on H2O Just That Water. If you have any suggestions for movies we should discuss on the podcast, send them in at graveyard underscore slot on Twitter and Instagram or email us at thegraveyardslot at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review. Thank you for listening and we'll see you on the next episode of The Graveyard Slot. <laughs> <laughs>